In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Father in heaven, would you come and speak to us through your word in Christ's name, amen. I had a spectacular joke for you, but I didn't bring it, so next week. Sorry, I know I just set you up to let you down, um, but great to be here, especially if you're visiting. Um, my name is Dave, and it's great to have you here with us. And uh, we're on a, in the halfway through, no, there is no, we're two-thirds of the way through tonight of a three-week end of uh, start of summer series, end of the fiscal year series. Last week, we heard about serving. You'll see in your bulletin, there's a little insert of areas where opportunities for you to serve. Uh, next week, Chris is going to talk about how we can give of our talent, and uh, I'd like to talk about money tonight, but maybe from a perspective, hopefully a perspective that is fresh. And um, it comes from um, this passage in Romans. In, in the kingdom of God, there are three ways to give. The first is hardwired into everyone, whether they believe in Jesus or not, and that is when you give according to need. Um, as you know, I, I used to be at All Saints Dallas, and it was common to see a drunk on the sidewalk share his drink with the drunk next to him who didn't have anything. So this thing in us that wants to give according to need is hardwired in, and that's the first. The second is the tithe, which is the... Uh, which is the biblical principle of giving a tenth of your income to the Lord. And I often have a conversation with someone, usually after a sermon like this, is that pre or post tax? And I said, well, you know, Jesus offered himself on the cross. Did he do that pre or post tax? That's a joke. Um, you know, but that's all the thing. The third type is a type that is um, a little bit more rare, but is what I've termed kingdom giving which is when you give not according to need, and it's over and above the tithe, and it's when you sow into someone's life, not because of where they are in life, but because you've caught a glimpse of who God is calling them to be. It's as, it's as if you've seen the arc of um, the call in their lives, and you're sowing into them today for what God will do tomorrow. Let me give you an example, and then we'll dive into the text. Um, the Methodist Church on Old Chapel Road has a small business incubator, and they had an event a year ago last week, no, feels like a year ago, but it was like last week, called The Mix, where you got to go in and they had the artists, the basement is for, you know, different place for artists and other things, and there were some food vendors, and we went in, and it's amazing. Um, but as I was standing there, this artist came up and ordered lunch. She didn't have her wallet. She had no money. And I said, oh, I'll get it. I says, you don't have to buy me lunch. And I had just seen her art. It's fantastic. I said, I'm not going to buy you lunch. 
And I got $15 out and I gave it to the woman. I said, well, you just, I said, I'm making an investment in what God is doing in your life. She was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm giving you a down payment on what I expect would be a hundredfold return on what God is doing in your life. Your art is fantastic. This $15, I'm not going to miss it. This is yours. Do with it what you like. I suggest you pay the, the food vendor. And I expect that this will just reap a huge benefit. And she was blown away. Rachel said to me afterwards, that was a bit strong. <laughs> but I just wanted her to know that there was something there that was of the kingdom that was worth investing in. Where does that come from? It comes from this passage. Uh, Paul has been writing to this church in Rome that he's never met, and he's been telling them and writing about what the cross has done, and then he illustrates it with the life of Abraham. And if you'll permit me, uh, open your, your bulletins to the text on page, let's see here, yeah, six. Children, as we do this, I would, I would love to know what you'd like to be when you grow up. All right, if you want to draw a picture, write a story. Uh, there was an incredible chart presented to me last week about summer plans that is awesome. So children, what would you like to be when you grow up? And there's no extra points if you say priest. All right, you won't get any extra, but just go for it. Meanwhile, let's turn. Verse 18 begins, in hope he believed against hope. The he here is Abraham. But it begs the question, what is hope? What is New Testament hope? Is it like, I hope I win the lottery? <laughs> I hope the cowboys, whatever. No. Hope in the New Testament is a three-year-old on Christmas Day who's been up since four. They're bouncing up and down because they can't wait to get to the gifts under the tree. New Testament hope is a living hope. It's a hope that really is described as a joyful expectation that good will come. Why? Not because we've ticked all the boxes, we've read all the Bible passages and prayed real hard. No, it's grounded in the fact that God is good. All right, so in joyful expectation that good would come, Abraham believed against all joyful expectation that good would come, that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told. So shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, and it goes on. It's like the highlight reel. Anyone use Instagram here? I think Instagram gives us a little glimpse into the kingdom of God. Because in Instagram, you can get your highlight reel, where you can choose the best photos, the best videos. You put them up in your highlights, and when you hit it, the viewer sees the best of what you have to show. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the very best of Abraham's life. Let me prove it to you. Genesis 12 begins the account of Abraham. And he has high moments and low moments. High moment is God speaks to him and he says, come with me, I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you, your descendants will outnumber the stars. All agreed, high moment, yes. Then they go to Egypt. 
And Abram shows that he's not the world's best husband. Why? He looks at his wife, who's 100 years old, and says, you're beautiful. I'm afraid they're going to kill me and take you as one of Pharaoh's, right? So let's pretend you're my sister. I mean, who sounds like not, don't do that, right? But he goes, and the Lord has to intervene. That's a low moment, right? Abraham, Abram and Lot have to separate, 50-50 on that one. Abram then rescues Lot. That's a high moment to go in and rescue someone. That's great. The victory is his. God enters then into a covenant with Abram in um, Genesis 15, another high moment. <laughs> Chapter 16, we go to the low moment where the Hagar incident happens, right? The total waver in the faith. Chapter 17, the covenant is, is, is brought in, the covenant of circumcision, high moment. Then chapter 18, three visitors, three angels show up for barbecue. You know, I mean, that must have been amazing. Um, in fact, when we open a smokehouse, we'll call it the three visitors. How's that, Becky? Sound good? Yeah. All right, high moment. Then Abraham pleads for Sodom. He sees that he can intercede on a city's behalf. Again, a high moment. Doesn't turn out well for Sodom, but never mind. And then chapter 20, Abraham and his wife Sarah have this interaction with Abimelech where for the second time, fear grips Abraham's heart and he passes his wife off as his sister. So he's really not winning any husband. There was never a marriage manual done on the life of Abraham, and there's good reason. So what's going on? We have these high moments we have these low moments in there. We all have them, right? Um, some of you know, you will all know, um, I drive a Mini Cooper. I'm the only one in Texas who drives the smallest car possible and love it. Well, I'm sure there are others, but when I bought it, all of a sudden, I saw all these Mini Coopers. It's like Dallas is full of Mini Coopers, and I'm not that spectacular because they're everywhere. Has that ever happened to you when you buy something or something happens, all of a sudden you recognize they're everywhere or suddenly, ladies, you become, well, not suddenly, but, you know, when you are expecting, all of a sudden there's pregnant women everywhere. It's like a new pandemic. What's happened? What happens is with a part of our brain, there's a part of our brain called the reticular activator, and its job is to stay on alert and to make you notice some things and ignore other things. So this is what's going on. Every one of us has failed. Every one of us has made mistakes. Every one of us has come up short in some area, whether it's our personal relationships, friendships, work, parenting, you name it. And because from such a young age we've failed, we've learned to spot failure in others doesn't take much. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, you know, we have that innate ability to spot failure. Some of us are facing difficult situations. Some of us may be facing impossible situations. And the challenge is, left to our own devices, when we are facing the impossible, we will spot it everywhere and we'll begin to make a case in our heart for why God will not answer our prayers, all right? That's the work of the reticular activator. Our reticular activator helps us notice the failings of others, and it's all because in the world we live in, perfection seems to be the goal. 
in every area of our life. Perfection is what everyone's aiming for. I saw an advertisement today that promised me that if I bought a certain T-shirt, it would turn this body into the perfect dad bod. Total lie. I know what I'm working with. But the illusion of perfection is a subtle one that we're, some of us are so, we are all willing to pay into, to buy. And it's so easily we can become defined by our feelings because the message being broadcasted out from such a young age is that we need to be perfect. There's a cream you can get. It's amazing. Put it on your face. Wipes away 20 years of worry, sleepless nights, under the eyes, the bags go away. It's called bliss. It's a lie. Won't make me look like I'm in my 20s. But again, the aim is for perfection. And so very easily, we can become defined by our failings. We can be defined by our imperfections. And if that happens to a number of individuals in a community, Guess what the community rallies around? It rallies around the fact that that's not quite right. That's, and all of a sudden, the worst of the worst breaks out. So if I was to write the New Testament, and I haven't, um, I would describe Abraham's life like this. Abraham had his highs and lows, but just scraped himself into God's good books by the skin of his teeth. But the record of his life in Romans is different than Genesis. In hope, Abraham believed, against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told. Verse 19, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Well, there's a different record in Genesis. So what's going on? Paul's illustrating here in Romans that every little moment that came before the cross has been utterly erased and transformed by what Jesus has done. In other words, think about it this way, God has never failed. He's never failed. Therefore, he has no reticular activator for failure. He doesn't recognize it. And when he sees our lives, once they've been brought under the blood of Jesus, he doesn't relate to us according to the low moments in our lives. It may be that we do, but he doesn't. He relates to us according to the high moments of our lives, and he takes the sum of those high moments, those things we've done well, and creates an arc of redemptive potential we call calling. And he sees where, from his perspective, by what he sees, what can come of us. But because of all of our failings, shortcomings, everything lacking in our lives, because they've been covered by Jesus, what's more is Jesus made the impossible as easy as taking a breath. So just take a breath. How easy is that? Not very easy three days after you've been dead. Jesus recognizes those moments that require resurrection power, and his posture is there waiting to come in. And so Paul is inviting the Roman believers to see themselves no longer from an earthly point of view, but from God's point of view, so that individually they're no longer defined by what they've done wrong or what's happened to them, but rather they're defined by what God sees in them.
It's true of us. But it doesn't stop there. It moves on into a communal aspect, which is he's calling them no longer to relate to each other according to their failings, but rather according to the high moments in their lives. So when I relate to Chris... I don't hold him hostage for what he's not. I don't say, you know, Chris, you're great, but why can't you be this? God doesn't do that. And my life takes the form of Christ, or it's meant to. And so when I see Chris, I don't say, I celebrate the gold in him. And kingdom giving isn't just about celebrating the gold in someone. It's about saying, I believe so much in what God is doing in your life. I'm going to put my money where my faith is, and I'm going to invest. And I trust. I may never have the return on that investment come back to me, but I expect to see that paid forward into the kingdom. We're using Chris as an illustration tonight. Didn't expect that. Hope you don't mind. If you do, we'll talk about it later. Um, How many hearts and minds will be shaped by a great priest who has a PhD and can train people for ministry. Countless. He's a great investment. And royal giving or kingdom giving is when you take something that is yours, money, and you say, I'm going to give towards this. Not because you have a need. This is not part of my tithe. This is just who God's calling you to be, and I'm going to give to get you there. So we, what have been the low moments in your life? What defines your day-to-day life? What have been the failings that have shaped you? Because of Jesus, God doesn't hold you hostage to that anymore. God doesn't relate to you according to them. He doesn't ask you to pretend it never happened. Because God's standard is not perfection. God's standard is and always has been redemption. He doesn't expect us to get it perfectly. He expects us to come and be redeemed as we do it. Some of you know our story. I've shared a little bit about a number of years ago. We we learned that we could not conceive naturally. Now, you've met my three boys, some of you, right? So you know some of the end of the story. But we had years where words like infertility, where that thing of, I believe that God would answer my prayers for somebody else, but I was on call waiting. Anyone remember call waiting? Is anyone here born in the 70s? You all look so young. Uh, Kevin, I'm with you. You know, the beep, beep, beep. Anyway, moving on. It felt like my prayers were on call waiting. And what happened is, is because all of the issues were on my side of things, I became defined by the fact that my body was incapable of doing the one thing that our hearts longed for. So things like self-loathing became friends, uh, self-hatred, all that kind of stuff. And I know that for in a group like this, some today, this will be difficult. So we're going to go tenderly here. Um, We went away and we heard a message similar to this. And I reasoned, if God didn't relate to me according to my failings, then I need to stop thinking of myself and defining myself in those terms. And what happened was, is Rachel and I ended up at this cottage in Mendocino. I mean, when you live in England, 
where it rains 11 months of the year, and you go to Northern California, it's always glorious. That's why we moved to Texas. It's, the weather's great, even though it's hot. That's an aside. Um, and there we were. And we've talked about this a bit before, but this is what really sh- changed everything. Uh, Rachel said, let's go read the scriptures and pray on the, on the patio. We did that. She put the music on uh, said, and then said, I think we need to dance before the Lord. And I was like, great. Um, so, you know, music's on. She begins to dance. I'm like, Lord, I have no moves. Like, I could do my version of John Travolta, but I don't think you want to see that. So the music's going, she's dancing, and I have this weird thought that the Lord's asking me to give him something costly, which is to entertain hope for the first time in years, right? Our hearts were so sick. So, and the sense was, what would it feel like when you begin, uh, what would it feel like when the very thing that's impossible becomes possible and begin to entertain that in your heart? So I did, and all of a sudden, this hope came rushing up, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm feeling something I haven't felt in years, and then the sense was I was to dance. I brought my best staying alive to the Lord, and in that moment, I'm glad no one saw it, and I'm not going to repeat it ever, it is as if all that baggage of what I was holding myself to, all of those low moments, all the things that were defining me broke off in that place of worship, and I was free, and we went home, and we had nothing to show for it except we had this hope to a point where... um, Across the street from the church, a new shop had been purchased, and they started to paint it electric pink. Hard to ignore. And then one Sunday, to get ready for the Monday, they started to put the letters out on top of the store. And so we're all, a number of us were there outside the church watch to put the, numbers up, the letters up, and I'm like, it's going to be a cupcake place. It'll be great. And sure, the first letter's K. Cupcake with a K, that works. Then it was I. Then it was N. It was K, it was Y, space, I, N, K. It's a tattoo parlor called, you know, Kinky Ink. And everybody was scandalized. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, well, let's just move along. Anyway, I'm wa- I have to walk by this place twice a day. And as I walk by the first day, this prompting that I was convinced was not God said, go in and tell the owner I love them. So I was like, yeah, it's not you, Lord. I kept on walking. Seven days in. On the seventh day, I walk in, and I meet the owner, barrel of a man. I said, hi, my name's Dave. See that church over there? Yeah, I'm an associate pastor there, and we've been praying for you. He says, great, my name's Yogi. And I was like, is it in the bear? He said, yeah, I'm from San Diego. I said, how'd you get here? He said, you don't want to hear the story. I was like, all right. I said, well, look, we've been praying for you, and I'm trying to figure out how to say this because it feels a bit awkward. And I said, look, we've been praying you find fulfillment in our neighborhood. As you could tell, you're the only establishment of your kind, and we're just praying you find eternal fulfillment. And I just, again, that thought, tell him I love him. I said, actually, Yogi, I'm here to tell you Jesus loves you. And he's like, oh, right on. I know Jesus. And he shows me a sketch of the Jesus he just tattooed on some unfortunate person, I was like, yeah, I know a different Jesus. Yours is kind of like demon Jesus, and mine's like redeemer of the world. Well, they're different, but anyway. All of a sudden, we became friends because he made the best espresso in the area. So I'd, he, uh, he said, do you want a tattoo? I said, I hate needles. I'm never going to get a tattoo, never. But let's talk. Tell me your story. 
So we'd sit on his couch, drink coffee, and it was great. We had this great friendship. All of a sudden, he disappeared. He was gone for two weeks. Nobody knew where he was. And we had this midweek fellowship where um, we would, you know, have a meal and then worship and then the homeless and people on the edges would come. It was great. Yogi showed up, and his eyes were like on fire. I was like, Yogi, what are you doing here? And he says, oh, I got saved. I said, how did that happen? Well, immigration detained me for two weeks, and this chaplain came, kept coming to my cell, and finally I said to him, I said, if I give my life to Jesus, will you leave me alone? And he said, yeah. So I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm like, all right, well, what are you doing here? He says, well, I've tried every other church, and you're the only church that prays for tattoo artists, so here I am. And, there, and, he, and we sat down, had supper, and he said, so what's going on? He said, I can't believe that you would come into my tattoo shop. And even with all my art that I know is you just would not agree with or probably is offensive to you, that you just look past that and that you told me about a love that is available to me that I now know. Why did you do that? And I said, Yogi, you know, you've got your stuff, I've got my stuff, and Jesus doesn't hold it against us. So why would I hold it against you? And, you know, we went on from there. This thing about kingdom giving, where we look to each other and we celebrate the gold and we don't hold each other hostage for what we're not, will turn the city upside down. You can't do it on your own. There's no such thing, in my mind, of a Christian who just lives their life alone without any community. The framework is in community because left our own devices, I need no help getting discouraged. It's like gravity. If I step off, I'm going to fall. If I'm left to my own, I will get discouraged. So we need to band together as a community and celebrate and encourage each other through hospitality and gifts of encouragement so that we all are empowered to live up to that gold standard. The standard for God is not perfection. The standard for God is looking for in your lives and in mine is redemption. Will you be a person of faith? Will you pray the most powerful prayer there is? Help. That's the most powerful prayer I know. It's gotten me out of some sticky spots. Or it's about recognizing our need for God's intervention and seeing that the answer to those prayers are probably in this room. So the Lord has no reticular activator for redemption. He has a reticular activation for redemption, but none for failure. He isn't looking for perfection. So why do we? God recognizes all of our potential, redemptive potential. And what he's inviting us to is to be a place of, trying to use non-jargony words, of supernatural encouragement where we're just, when we arrive, people are just encouraging us so we, we leave, we feel awesome. Why? Because the scriptures tell us we're fearfully and awesomely made. And the Christian community is a place where that happens. But it takes more than just lip service. It takes prayer. It takes time. It takes active thinking of how we can strengthen each other and from time to time, the Lord will prompt us to use our money to invest 
in kingdom enterprise that he's looking to do through the life of someone. I saw this firsthand um, with Matt and Cassie. Cassie and I used to work together before she got an upgrade and moved to St. Bart's. Um, and I, it was a five years ago, four years ago, Matt was getting ready to leave Redeemer, and there was a bill to be paid. And I don't know if you've ever been a student with children. I haven't. Um, but, you know, there's just, there's a lot. And, and um, anyway, it was getting closer and closer and closer, and we were, I was praying with you all, and, and then out of nowhere, someone came up to me who didn't know them, but knew third hand. Get this, third hand of Matt and Cassie, and uh, told me they were going to do something. And they took it upon themselves, went to Redeemer Seminary, may light perpetual shine upon that establishment, and paid the debt, paid the fees. But it wasn't that they were paying that, is that there was an investment being made on God's call on Matt and Cassie because they'd heard that they were missionaries in Italy. They'd heard that they'd done all this stuff and that there was something God is going to do in them that he's doing in them that was worth an investment. And so I don't know what it was, but like the 100% return investment on, 100 return investment on that is like in the millions. So, you know, whether the Rangers sign you or not, Matt, as a coach, that's what you're worth, dude. You know, those are the stories we long for, and that's the opportunity we have. So I'm done. That was me on money, but listen. We have this opportunity to be the kind of community that the world is looking for, where perfection is not the goal, where we celebrate each other for the gold and we, we don't hold each other hostage for what we're not, but we lean in and we pour our effort, energy, so that the gold in each one of us comes to the surface. Need, give according to need, go for it. Tithe, we could talk about it. If you don't tithe already, we could talk about working up to it. We could discuss it ad nauseum. Chris has got all the answers. I don't need to Google anymore because I work with Chris. He's great. No, we could talk about it. Re uh, realistically, and getting right into the details, some of you have received a letter from us on Friday that as we end of the budget year, there's a $60,000 gap in the budget. I have every confidence that God's got it covered. And we just want to let you know and be accountable. And if you feel moved to do it, great. Don't do it because I tell you. Pray. And if the Lord puts it on your heart, then go for it. But more than that, to be the people that God is calling St. Bart's to be, we're going to chase after the gold in every one of us. And I'm super excited to be a part of it here, as I've heard so many of you. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go into a time of prayers of the people, right? So why don't you stand with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that because of your cross, your death and resurrection, thank you that all of our shortcomings, our failings, the impossible things in our lives are covered by your your work, your blood. We pray now for those of us facing impossible circumstances. 
that we pray even now that you would unleash your resurrection power, that as the prophet Isaiah says, that every valley would be made high and every mountain brought low. We pray, Lord, for those of us, and we all do it, where we allow the things of the past to affect who we are day to day. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us to be a community where we celebrate the gold in each other and pour our strength, our prayers, our gifts, all that we have into seeing the gold come out in each other. Come, Lord Jesus, would you move in power?